Let's do this. This this week, this week on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the Lincoln assassination from April of 1865. the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this week are Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Split Nash. And Rail Splitter Nick. Hey to everybody who's up late. Just because you could be up late because a lot of you are probably on uh, shelter in place. And why wake up early, right? Am I right? Am I right? I have to wake up uh, early now for work. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us are still working, including I you. schedule. <laughs> Uh, my prediction was Nick was going to make a comment about Americans doing something with their stimulus checks, so he, he was different, so that's good. I wonder if we should start um, a secret poll each week about that and see which one of us wins for what Nick will yeah, say. Yeah, you're welcome to play at home. Play yeah. along at home. What, what is Rail Splitter Nick going to say for his <laughs> intro to Dude. all you Rail Splitters at home, dot, dot, dot. Well, I got 10 weeks to decide like how I can intro that because according to the U.S. Treasurer, uh, that twelve hundred dollars will last you ten weeks. So, it, wow are you is... are are you back living in eighteen sixty five that it will last you that long? <laughs> uh, so that's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, well, break down Abraham Lincoln's weekly budget, and that's probably probably about yeah. one hundred and twenty dollars. So, yeah. that's why it would have been nice to have a Lincoln, somebody who can relate to um, a average American or normal, whatever that means too, but like who can relate to the majority of us as opposed to somebody who makes millions of dollars. Um, And he actually executive produced a couple DC movies. I think he's an executive producer movies. I can't remember which one Lego movie. uh, was the big one that I was like, Oh man, I really like the Lego movie. We're talking Uh, about Steve, Steve Mnuchin in case you didn't pick up on that, but uh, yeah, he was. He's one of the executive producers, and by executive producer, I think that's somebody who has money and just writes checks. Yeah, um, yeah, that's pretty. Accurate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and then makes a bunch of money. So, and I am looking for an executive producer. So, if you're rich and looking to write a check, I do have a fantastic idea for a Lincoln Doc. But so, send it our way. There you go. I'm not rich, but you uh, can put my name as the executive yeah. producer. <laughs> yeah. How much? Oh, do you I need the money. This? I think you need to do a. Uh, What's not GoFundMe, but what's the other one where you like crowd? What the, what's the crowdsourcing? Oh, uh, um, you know where if like you spend a certain amount of money, then you could get an executive producer pay, credit. Is it pay, no, not not Patreon. No. no, I think it's called send. Everyone send. is shouting at their podcast device right now. What it is? It's just called send uh, Nick money. It's called yeah, no send kidding. Nick an email. I'll give you. Uh, yeah, that's all you need is my email, especially if you work for Chase. You can just send it right over to me, and I will deposit it. Um, I'll keep track of it all and how I'm spending it for you. Yeah, see, there you go. Notice how he's not telling us what his genius idea is for a Lincoln documentary, Real Splitters? Yeah, I did. I noticed that. Uh, actually, yeah, I did. I can't say it. Why somebody steals it? I can tell you off air. Kickstarter. Yeah, That's yeah, it. Kickstarter. <laughs> so... 
Anyway, uh, I'm sure that everyone out there is really looking for a lack of structure in their days uh, because of the way that we are in quarantine with absolutely no structure to much of our time. But today's episode is going to have very little structure because we're just going to kind of have an open and loose conversation about the Lincoln assassination, Lincoln's death, feelings around it, how we feel about it given the current situation, how we feel about it considering the current leadership, um, and really nothing really specific or um, topic-driven other than it's about the assassination. So I know many of you may be looking for a little bit of structure in these unstructured times, but you're not going to get it on today's episode because uh, we're just going to kind of just just kind of do like a little roundtable, informal kind of talk about the Lincoln assassination. But first, of course, we want to talk to you about any news stories that Lincoln shows up in. And Nick uh, found a story or came across a story uh, that was in the Chicago Tribune, less of a story and kind of more of commentary. But the, the headline of the commentary is, What Would Abe Raham or Abe Lincoln Do? How the 16th President Led Through Adversity. Nick, why don't you tell us what you came across in the trip? Yeah, it's written by Sammy Wheeler, who's part of the Abraham uh, Lincoln Library Museum. And, yeah, basically it's opinion piece, kind of trying to relate uh, the current crisis we're going through and how we kind of think Lincoln would have handled it. Well, basically his argument is Lincoln would have done a nice job, and he gives a couple reasons why. Uh, But he also kind of starts off, you know, the article by kind of explaining, you know, yes, Abraham Lincoln also went through a crisis being the Civil War, as most of us know. And he just kind of gave us a background knowledge of that, which I kind of found kind of fascinating because obviously the Civil War, most of us obviously know how devastating it was. It's seen as the deadliest war in American history. And then when you crunch the numbers and everything, it mentions how it was 2% of the population um, who ended up dying in the Civil War. Um, another interesting fact, more Civil War soldiers died from disease um, than uh, the actual battles itself. They actually had a link that took you to another article um, in the Tribune by Ron Grossman, and where he kind of dives in and talks about toy, uh, typhoid fever. Uh, D- Stephen Douglas died from that. Uh, it kind of related to how in Chicago there's Camp Douglas um, and Confederate soldiers were brought there and how that was obviously a hotbed for stuff spreading Um, And a lot of people died from disease in there because of the compact stuff, which one of the hottest spots in America is Cook County Jail um, right now, because obviously for similar reasons, being the confined spaces and people having such close contacts. So I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel there. Um, And a lot of people, it's getting more attention than, um, you know, I ever thought it would have. I never really thought about it much as an individual, but probably not nearly attention that deserves the jail's. Um, and how the coronavirus is spreading rapidly there. Um, and even they're starting to release people um, early, trying to, you know, commute sentences and stuff like that. Um, so kind of a little side tangent there. Uh, but then another thing that led me interesting is the 2%. If you had 2% of Americans die now, that would be 7 million individuals. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys saw this, but I saw this today. Doctor, Good old Dr. Oz. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. I, mean, I did see this. Yeah, he says he basically we have the argument in America going on right now, Mary. I don't know if you've been following it. Um, the cure can't be worse than the disease. The I... battle of economy versus health. <sighs> and there's some Ugh. people who are advocating. You know what? Yes, there might be a price to pay if we opened up the economy. 
but that price is worth it. And Dr. Oz actually made the argument that we should open up the schools. And yes, it's unfortunate if 2% of the students died, but it would only be 2 or 3%. To give you more context, oh that's God. 7 million kids he's talking about there. So I, I don't... I don't know if anybody wants to comment to that. I kind of just threw that in there. I, I just, I, 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 don't I, do. Go ahead, Mary. I, I, I don't understand that line of thinking at all. Um, like it just, I don't know. It's, I can't imagine thinking that way about a situation to think that, you know, the cure is worse than, than the disease. Like, you know, we are going to come through this. It's going to take all of us working together though and um you know like the attitude we've had here in canada is kind of that we are taking the measures we're taking now are going to help us bring back the economy quicker so yes essential it's only essential services that are open you know most of us are on some kind of lockdown but the government is also like we're lucky that we're getting the funding that we do from them um, you know, myself and my spouse are lucky that we can work from home and we're still getting a paycheck. But there's been no talk really of reopening the economy. Yes, they've been asked when it's going to happen. But, you know, the attitude has always been, we're doing measures now that when we do reopen the economy, we're able to, you know, make it not into a depression, but just a recession, I think was the the logic behind it. But yeah, there's been you know, school's probably not going back. We've canceled most event, like all events have been canceled till July the 1st. So that's what, what we're looking at here. And then we'll look at easing back into things. But just, I, I, I don't understand that. I, I don't understand that attitude at all. It's, it's absolutely absurd. Um, I, if this is not the biggest and most obvious example for a pro-socialist argument, like this whole idea that People have to choose between dying and working, you know, like that's, that's why you have, I mean, socialism, whatever the connotations, that's why you have governments, right? Like, you know, to provide things that, you know, when people can't provide them on their own collectively, we can provide them for each other. Like how this is not so obvious when people are saying like, well, that's the choice we have. Like, no, it's not the choice we have the choice. It's the choice we're forced into right now Mm -hmm. because, the economy, so-called economy, is so fragile that that a couple months like this are risking killing it, you know, in many people's eyes. This is also if you define the economy as the stock market or, you know, how the rich are doing. It's, you know, this whole idea that the economy is crashing down is basically, um, you know, I think kind of based in this whole idea that it's okay for poor people to be poor. But if people who are not normally poor are becoming poor, well, now, now poverty is a problem. Now we care about poverty. Now we're going to give checks to people um, when we've had abject poverty forever. Um, but I think also to that point, you know, in the two percent thing, like I'll never like the the iconic first like what seven minutes or so of Ken Burns Civil War talks about the war in a very general sense. And David McCullough, the, na- the narrator, says fully 2% of the population when he talks about how many people died in the Civil War. So, like, that, I mean, and I remember seeing that in, like, 1989 when I was a kid thinking, like, oh, 2%, that's, I thought it'd be much higher than that. But then you think about, two, that's a, you know, mm-hmm. that's a lot. And I always talk about that, you know, at work. We have, Nick and I work in a school with about 2,000 kids. So I always talk about that when we talk about, 
you know, we want 90% of them to graduate. Like, oh, 90%, that sounds all right. But yeah, you're talking, that's how many kids don't. 10% represents 200 kids. That's a lot of kids, you know. Um, 2%, that's that's a lot. Um, and when you kind of, you know, recklessly talk about, you know, schools going back because kids don't really, the virus doesn't manifest in kids as much in young people as it does in older people. Like, I don't think people realize what schools are for communities. And I say this as a school employee, of course, in almost every city in America, the biggest employer is the public school system in Rockford, Illinois, which is a, is the third biggest city in Illinois. It's a pretty sizable city. There's about 150,000 people in the city. The biggest employer in this city is the Rockford public school system. So you're not talking about 2% of the students going in. You're also talking about all of the people who drive them to school, all the people that feed them, all the people who teach them, who help them, who clean the buildings for them, who lead the buildings, you know, all of that stuff. So like, when you say like we're gonna we're you know we're all gonna open the schools, that's essentially opening the whole community. Mm-hmm. Like that is the one we are the one institution that touches everybody in one way or another. And so, in my opinion, when you open the schools up, everything is now open because you know young people touch everybody, the all of the employees. Like, and it's also not an isolated community. Nick and I both work in a school in a different city than the one in which we live. So not, not, I mean, it's, we're next door, but it's still like, we're still traveling. So, um, this is so much about Abraham Lincoln, what we're talking about right now, but still like, um, well, I this think is that the this problem when you just look at things as numbers and, yes. and you don't think of things as, uh, as people and you don't put yourself in position there, which Lincoln did. Exactly. He did go to hospitals. He did visit to see the devastation there. So he was able to look at it more than just numbers. And another thing that's just fat, I mean, it's just coming down to, I'm going to bring a WWE uh, to this. I mean, WWE just laid off a ton of people yesterday, and they did it to protect their profit margin for the year. Because you have independent wrestling shows who do not have the pocketbook or the TV deals that wrestling does who have not laid off their contracted workers. And they're, you know, they're losing money off of it. So, and, you know, that is basically what you're having on a grand scale. I don't know a grand scale, but a good, loud minority who has a microphone who's making some noise and trying to convince people this is the right thing. And it just comes down to, you know, these are, they're not, it's, yeah, it's two million or it would be seven million, but that's a Steve, a Susie, a Billy, you know, um, Trayvon, you know, you got all these different individuals that that is and that impacts four people five people you know the exponential growth of the impact one person has is crazy i agree i I couldn't agree more and and i think if you look at schools we're paying every no not one employee of our district or any district in the state of illinois per the directive of the governor has lost a paycheck no one because we work for the government and there's not a profit to be had, right? So like, yeah, there's cash reserves and those are going to go down because the tax base is going to be a little bit different. And, you know, we'll have to make some changes based on revenue, but we're a government agency. So we can afford, you know, like the paychecks continue to come and we find a way to make it work. Um, our district, um, which I think is, is I'm, I'm very proud to work in our district has even um, started a project where they're looking at how many, days our substitute teachers would typically work 
in a week and they're trying to pay them that money that they would have gotten. And these people aren't even employees in a, in a technical sense, but they're doing that because it's the right thing to do because these are also people who don't earn very much money who are vital to the operation of the schools because we can, right? So um, the whole idea of stock price going down is, you know, sometimes it's tough for public employees to even understand, like, who cares, you know? Uh, but that's you know, unfortunately in a in a in a super capitalistic system. That's just the driving force, and that's not that's that those aren't paychecks. Those aren't people, you know. Um, and I and I think that Nick, to your point about the prisons, I think there's there's a lot of parallels to that in the Civil War. Um, when you look at you know people say things like the, the virus doesn't discriminate because you know Boris Johnson got it and. You know, Chris Cuomo got it, and and people get it in prison, but that's not true. The virus absolutely, the virus itself doesn't, but the system does discriminate. Prisons are getting crushed. You know, communities of color in urban areas are getting hit much harder, and they're dying at much higher rates. The pre-existing conditions are more common in communities of poverty. Like it does discriminate. Those are the individuals who are dying at a much higher rate. And then when you look at like the Civil War and what it did, of course. When we're talking about the catastrophic casualties of the Civil War, the people who died were enslaved and poor and, you know, the, the, the farmers and the, you know, laborers, you know, very much, you know, largely men from the ages of, what, 16 to 24 who came from families who couldn't buy their way out through the draft deferments, you know, so... Um, I think there are some similarities when you say when you talk about 2% of the population and you can kind of be a little bit reckless with that figure, then you think about it. Well, yes, it's 2% of the population, but what percent was a civil war of poor males between the ages of 20 and 24? And of the women who died, what how many of them came from poor families where they had no choice but to go be a healthcare worker, you know, for for the army or or, um, or try to provide uniforms or whatever, you know, all of the, the thousands of different ways in which women helped the war, you know? So like these, these 2% figures are not small when you, when you look at who, who are we actually talking about? Mm. Because they do discriminate. Well, that's just like any war, natural disaster or pandemic. It just highlights the inequalities that already exist. Yeah. And the goal in all this is, you know, to make not America great again, but to make America better than it ever was. Use this as an opportunity to push forward, which is what the Civil War did. It provided an opportunity to push forward the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. Um, you know, and that's ho- that's what I hope comes out of all this. But some days it's hard to think that that's going to happen. Um, but there's still a long time to go through all this, unfortunately. Um, but that also means there's time to figure out and how to make it better. Maybe this is finally what we needed, a world crisis like this, to all get on the same page to address an issue like climate change mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Yeah, so go with not like go with the national health care system. Like, yeah. I mean, the measures we've taken here have not strained our health care system, luckily. But, you know, it's still they're they're planning for a surge in the hospitals. So they've used arenas and all that to set up for for, you know, the not like the not the covid patients that don't have to be in in icu but you know ones that still need to be hospitalized can go to these other sites they've set them up they're not saying it's going to happen but they've they've set it up and 
right now the the biggest place where the outbreaks are in Ontario and in Quebec are in the homes for the aged. So mm-hmm. the nursing homes, which is that's the population like we should be protecting the most and somehow it got in there and it is just going there was one today that had like 20 some people die yesterday like just it's this thing is serious and i wish Mm -hmm. i wish more people you know in my country and in the united states would see that that it is it's very serious yeah, and I, you know, and I don't think this is too far off topic because we we are also a history podcast, and this is, um, this is the probably going to be the most historic event that we live through with the with the possible exception of, of terrorist attacks maybe in two thousand one, but that's maybe different because it was a one day thing with huge implications, you know, afterward for sure, but. You know, you think about how, you know, a lot of times when people teach the Civil War, and and of course it's interesting and fun, and we do it all the time, to really look at generals and battles and troop movements and, you know, the stories and the heroes and the villains and all that kind of stuff. That's that's important and fun stuff to learn about. Of course there's a place for that. But as a history educator, of course, we look at the Civil War, and, and it's definitely such, you know, the one event I think that, that you could use to as a central and defining moment to, to teach American history, everything before it led to it, everything after was a result of it in many, many ways you can talk about not just enslavement, but, you know, um, class, class issues, um, you know, poverty versus, you know, an industry and the emergence of capitalists and industrialists and all those things. Of course, there's, um, the evolving role of women and, you know, the emergence of, of the women's rights movement. And you, I mean, you can go on and on and on. Right. Um, I think this may be a similar event long term. I mean, they all often, very often we're using um, politicians, people on all sides of every argument are referring to this in similar terms. So they refer, which they refer to war using, you know, comparing it to war, but you can talk about really science class, um, ageism, you know, all of these kinds of things, resources, like, like what was it like in the early 21st century? Well, like, well, if you look at this pandemic and what happened, why was it worse here? Why was it worse than it could have been? How was this politics? How was the president communicating about it? Was it accurate? Did he take responsibility for anything? Did he have responsibility for anything? Like, I really think it's, it is going to be the defining moment of our time in many ways, probably similar to the civil war was for people in the 1860s. Hopefully that's overstatement. Hopefully I'll look back on that 10 years from now and say that it was a big deal, but maybe not that big a deal. But I do think that there's potential for this to be as significant a moment in our lives as the civil war may have been in people's lives in the mid 18 in the mid 19th century. If we're still doing this and you're wrong, I'll make sure to remind you that you were wrong. Yep. I hope so. Uh, I, would enjoy that number 124 <laughs> I would love Jeremy to be wrong. <laughs> I would, I would really enjoy being wrong. You know, I mean, you can read a lot about, uh, people thinking that, you know, um, you know, and there is all the time when people kind of laugh off, um, uh, laugh at, 
very prominent figures in the, in the Civil War era saying things like, you'll be able to mop up the bloodshed in this ward with a handkerchief, or, mm -hmm. you know, this war is going to last two weeks, and it's not that big a deal, the South just kind of needs to be slapped around a little bit, you know, like, there was, there's all kinds of things that in retrospect are hilarious because yeah. of the vast, under, you know, underestimation of what the Civil War was going to be. George W. Uh, Bush, mission accomplished behind him. Exactly, exactly. And I, there was definitely that comparison when, you know, with the mission accomplished when there was when there was a shred of good news about this situation. But um, And the one thing about the Civil War, I don't think anybody or very, very few people are saying, like, this is going to take four and a half years and is going to be hundreds of thousands of lives directly and millions of lives indirectly lost. You know, nobody said that, you know, I'm sure they did, you know, may have thought that, but you know, Lincoln himself probably didn't even really realize exactly what it was going to be. Although he probably had a better idea than most. So I think he did, but he kept it, he kept it more to himself. I mean, there was the, like you said, there was the odd person that knew or that mm -hmm. figured it out. Um, I, I think actually Stonewall Jackson was one who predicted the bloodshed. And then um, General Sherman as well said that this is going to be a long, hard battle and it's going to take us a long time to come out of it. But yeah, for mm -hmm. the most part, it was like, oh, it'll be over. And then Bull Run happened with the great skedaddle. And that's when people started to think maybe this isn't going to, you know, it's not going to be done in a few months. And then Shiloh happened, and I think that's when it really hit people. That yeah, that's a, that was a great point. I was going to say almost exactly the same thing. Like, yeah. you know, if they weren't convinced at at Bull Run or Manassas, then Shiloh happened. It's like oh yeah. shit, because you know, like you know, huge important battles, but largely inconsequential in the terms of the grand scheme of the war. Yep. But you still had you know tens of thousands of casualties, and it wasn't this you know jolly old adventure that people were going to go off and do and. Um, so yeah, I do think there's there's a lot of similarities, and you and you're seeing. I mean, you're even seeing sectionalism, and you know differences between red states and blue states to to some degree. There's there's a lot more unification as well, but um, you know even regionally, there's you know there's differences with this with this current situation. Um, the fact that it's more global, of course, and you know it's a different different era in the world um, matters also. But yeah, it's uh, it's a defining moment, you know. I'm sure scholars, you know, 150 years from now, will look at it, um, and they'll be experts in the history of infectious disease that specialize in looking at this current pandemic, and um, it'll kind of be interesting to see how history remembers this. But but as we're living it, I think it's important to also put a historic lens on it and to say like, what is this saying about where we're at, and how does it compare to other historic eras? And and the Civil War certainly is is one that I think you can compare it to. Um, in some ways, um, and others maybe not as much, but, um, but yeah, I think that that's real. And I think that, you know, it, it is worth thinking about what would Lincoln do? Mm -hmm. How did Lincoln, not just how did he handle adversity, but how would he have done in this particular situation? So interesting stuff. I'm sure we'll spend some more time talking about it, um, over the next few weeks. So if you didn't enjoy that little conversation, we'll probably have an entire episode very similar to, to that conversation too. Um, but it's, uh, I think it's important as, even as amateur historians to look at, um, where we're at currently in history and how does, and how, how have we learned things from other eras in history, specifically the civil war for us in this podcast to learn about today. 
Which brings us to uh, today. We're recording this on uh, April 16th, so we're um, two days away from the anniversary of the action, I guess, and one day away from the anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's assassination and death. So we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that, um, just pretty unstructured, kind of informal, about thoughts that we had, um, you know, kind of noticings and things that we've noticed on social media and, and in the media in ourselves, reflecting on um, a day that's always, always different, definitely retrospective and, in, in, um, you know, kind of a lot of reflection and thought every year, but this year specifically because we're in a, we're in an interesting time. There's a lot of death around us and there's a lot of nervousness and anxiety and anxiousness and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so how Nick, Mary, how, how did the anniversary impact you this year? Um, well, for me, I, I did my, I usually, I write a blog post every year because the April 14th, 15th, they're always, they're pretty sad. Like they're sad days for me. I think they're for a lot of us who, who study and, and love Lincoln. And this year I, I kind of struggled with my post a little bit because I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm cause I try and be hopeful and I, and I just, I guess with the current climate, I, I wasn't feeling that way, but then I ended up writing a whole post on, you know, how we can still look to Lincoln for leadership 155 years after he's gone and that he went through turbulent times and now we are and he got his country through those turbulent times and we can still look to him to help him like to him for to get through those turbulent times as well like because we have his his words that are still around and as well that we can look to the qualities in him that he possessed as a human, you know, empathy, kindness, and compassion to help get us through the crisis. Um, because I've seen a few things, um, you know, when I've been grocery shopping, of all things, just humans being not very nice. And, and it just it, like, I came home crying on from grocery shopping, because it was like, it's like, what the heck? You know, I don't know why people have to treat each other that way. Um, but this year, um, you know, I also, I did the blog post. I also did some tweets about it too, um, about the assassination, about the subsequent, you know, the start of the hunt to find Booth um, as well. What was going on in the Civil War too, with Sherman waiting to surrender to Johnston and not finding out about the assassination until he doesn't find it, out about it until April 17th. So when this podcast is released, <laughs> that's the day Sherman finds out about the assassination. Um, but I noticed this year that, um, you know, I guess because of the current situation, you know, we can't get to the sites. We can't get to Ford's Theater to remember Lincoln. We can't get to his home in Springfield. So those sites were reaching out more than ever, I think, to bring the history to the people. Um, and I noticed that there was a lot more activity on social media, a lot more remembering of Lincoln, recounting the day, but also talking about him as a person. Um just it seemed I don't know if it was necessarily that it's the 155th anniversary because I know some people latch on to those certain dates a little bit more than others but I really think more than it was more the current climate and that we're recognizing how much we need somebody like Lincoln in this and we're thinking what would he do and you know we're looking to him and remembering him for that reason yeah Nick what was uh, your experience like on uh, the 15th 14th and 15th well it was a regular day 
Um, I don't know. To be <laughs> honest, is there such thing as a regular day anymore? What was? What are yeah. those? Wow. Remember when the we new, used to go out? The new normal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not one to like harp on like birthdays or like the day of somebody's death. I think if anything, you know, all this like whenever there's a crisis or something going on, and me personally, you know, it's been frustrating watching the news, the press conferences, um, and seeing how our current president handles it. So it, it makes you think about, you know, all right, who's somebody who would have handled this right, which a lot of times, obviously, working on this, being part of the podcast, you know, being a history teacher, thinking about that, obviously, it comes back to Lincoln, and just thinking about how he would be addressing this stuff and how um, I, I just wish we had a leader who had more of those characteristics in common um you know to me i'm not a big like ford's theater okay yeah if i'm out there but it's not high on my list of lincoln sites um i'm more of one like if i die i want to party man i mean it's the time to have a bash a celebration of life um I, i think that's more appropriate to do so it's good to see um you know, some of the stuff that's out there, like the Tribune article that Sammy Wheeler wrote, because uh, we kind of got off on a tangent. But if you read more of that, it talks about the qualities that made him such a good leader. Um, you know, stuff like that is more exciting to do. You know, I got a book in the mail today about Lincoln, you know, kind of his train ride to D.C. I'm excited to read that. You know, so that that's the stuff I try to draw to. Um, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of fascinating mm-hmm. stories there. Um, there's a reason why Dave taylor has been on the show a couple times because uh there's definitely stories to be told but me i'm not one who will look at a calendar and think about oh man this is the day um so for good or bad but yeah i don't know i guess that answers the question from my standpoint it it does for sure and i think that you know i do kind of look at anniversaries too just because like I think it kind of happens because that's when people tweet about stuff. You know, like yeah. you're not you're going to see you're going to see a spike in social media activity about the assassination every April, and we probably saw a bigger spike this April because more people are chilling on social media or trying to find something to do. I like it because you know the anniversary of the second inaugural, and then the anniversary of Appomattox, and then the anniversary that you're like, oh my, like they are so close together. Um, and one thought that I had is just like. You know, the whole, you know, we get wrapped up in the whole conspiracy, um, not theory, it was, a, it was a conspiracy, you know, it was an actual, the actual conspiracy, uh, and their actual goal to, like, basically try to take out the government, or, or much of it, by killing the vice president and the secretary of state, and, you know, all of the different, you know, of course, none of them, you know, there was an attempt on Seward, and, you know, they, they didn't end up following through with the attempt on Vice President Johnson's life, but like the fact that the the union victory and the status of the union was so fragile that that you know that may have worked and it and it may have worked even with just Lincoln's assassination like all of the turmoil that happened in reconstruction and the, the infighting in the between the republicans and the radical republicans and you know it was just it was so fragile and you saw that void that was created when Lincoln died mm-hmm. um how dangerous that was for all the progress that was made and how lucky I think everyone was that it, that it didn't, you know, I guess that it happened when it did, you know, at least after Lee had surrendered and the war was effectively over. Um, and thinking about now, um, you know, I am, 
as far from a fan of the current president as most as, as anybody, I suppose. Um, I, I do not want the man to die. I don't want anybody to die. I don't want anybody to kill him. I don't want any bad things to happen to anybody. But if he died or left office immediately, I don't think, you know, I think, that I you know, just looking at Mike Pence, who I disagree with probably even more mm. than I do, you know, I think that he, that much of his beliefs may even be more evil. Um, and from a humanitarian standpoint, but I don't think he's stupid, <laughs> you know, like I do think that he, um, at least is a compassionate person. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel that he has values that are not selfish. I disagree with his standing on almost everything. Um, but like I heard, heard him talking about, you know, um, people having to watch their loved ones die through FaceTime. And I felt like, like he was truly compassionate, empathetic, you know, like that, (laughs) you know, thinking about where the country was in 1865, losing its leader versus if we were, if we lost our so-called leader now, um, the difference it was. And I was reflecting a little bit on that, like, man, that, how fragile that union victory, the, the, the reunification of the union was, um, and how I think the ripple effects of that assassination are still felt to this day. You know, I, I do believe, of course, racism would have existed and, and would still exist. And of course, discrimination and all of the, all of the evils that we currently have in this world would still be here. But I, I do feel that if Lincoln served out the rest of his term, we would have made much more progress from the start of, you know, from the, from the beginning of a country without enslavement, maybe. Um, and just, just kind of thinking about that as a turning point, Mm -hmm. kind of what, you know, we get so wrapped up in this like Booth being the famous actor and, you know, the, the play and the, the public assassination, but like, what did it really mean, um, for the country? And how would Lincoln have been remembered? And, and these are all, that's all speculation, but that's kind of interesting. And sometimes I think important to do as well. I, one of the things I tweeted about um, yesterday was General Grant um, having to come back to Washington less than 24 hours after he'd left. So I used his memoirs as my source for that. And the one thing that he remarked upon was that when he heard of Lincoln's assassination, he realized what it would mean for the country. That And he had remembered how Johnson had been speaking of the Southern people. And he said, Grant said something to the effect of, like, Reconstruction was set back. And he knew at that moment that it was. And then the other was when Sherman found out about it on the 17th, he was handed the telegram. And he asked the guy that gave him the telegram, have you said anything about this? And the guy said no. And he's like, you're not to say anything. Sherman didn't even tell his soldiers because he thought they would rebel like he thought they would basically annihilate johnson's army and just go crazy so when he went to johnston he showed johnston the telegram and johnston said that this is the worst thing that could have happened and um even jefferson davis said that the worst thing that happened to the confederacy was the assassination of abraham lincoln and um the other thing i thing i was thinking about too was um just how unfair it is that jefferson davis got to live another 24 years after mm-hmm. it is you know also deified in many areas too yeah. so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, one interesting thing that was asked of me yesterday on Twitter was, you know, I was talking about how I was going to be tweeting about um, the manhunt as well as about um, just what was going on in the Civil War at that time, too, because sometimes what, what's going on in the, the end of the Civil War doesn't get mentioned as much because, you know, there's focus on the Lincoln funeral train um, and, and the manhunt, which is totally important for history. But sometimes I think that, you know, the Civil War things that were happening, the various surrenders are important, too. But someone said, will you tweet about the capture of Jefferson Davis? And I said, yes, I'm planning on it. And I did say, I'm like, I loathe who he was as a person. I don't agree with what he did, but I think his capture and his story are part of that time in American history. And that's when I mentioned, I said, he got to live another 24 years. And that's probably the, like, it's incredibly unfair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I very much so. I mean, and I I don't think... I don't think Lincoln probably had a whole lot of years left in him. If you, you know, just looking mm-hmm. at those pic, the photographs of him oh, from yeah. 1860 to 1865 um, and the status of healthcare and everything else in the mid 19th century, he, I don't know who knows how much longer he would have had, but like you look at like even Grant who died a long and painful death, but like used that time to write his memoirs. Like, man, what a gift that would have been if mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln just had five yeah. or six years to do something like that, you know? Um, I think that the, another important historic thing that is that came out of that is, you know, the whole idea that the vice president is a heartbeat away from the presidency. Yep. You know, I think this was one time where I was like, yeah, that's that's a real thing. Like, you know, you can't just say like, oh, Andrew Johnson, you know, he's this will be a nice gesture because, you know, he stayed loyal. And, you know, I think this is kind of shows that we're going to come back together. Like, yeah, it will do that. <laughs> but but he could be the president. So this is kind of important. Like maybe you should meet him at least before you. You know, decide, and I I know they met, but you know, I I don't think a whole lot of people really knew a whole lot about him. He was very much known as a very quiet, unassuming person, Um, and of course, his presidency was a disaster. Um, So that I think is important too. Of course, I'm sure Nick feels that the country really learned who was a heartbeat away from the president when the 13th president died, but. Yeah, when Fillmore got to take over, Joker. <laughs> when he became the 13th. Oh, was he the 13th? Sorry, yeah. I couldn't remember, but I had to set you up for it. Damn it. Man, what well, a huge mistake for a history podcast person. I thought you were going to go the Dan Quell route, but, you know. Mm. <laughs> or, Sarah, or Sarah Palin, too. You could go that Oof. route. Eesh, yeah. Lincoln is in between two very bad presidents. Like, Buchanan was mm-hmm. that... When I read about him, I was just, I'm like, wow, he really didn't want to talk about secession if it was mentioned. It was really like, I don't want to discuss that right now. Can we move on to something else? And mm-hmm. We'll let the new guy take care of it kind of thing. Um, and then Lincoln, who, you know, probably the greatest president. And then Johnson, who just, you know, however many, like like Grant said, set back years. Mm-hmm for how things should have gone. Yeah, and I think that, you know, another parallel I think to today with with situations, at least politically then, is like the fact that there was um, this whole idea that I've been thinking about too is is uh, with Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and then our, our current president and the rest of the Republican Party is what is a political party? How do political parties historically handle diversity of views within within their ranks um you know can can the democrats 
rally around Joe Biden can so-called progressive, the progressive wing of the party, um, you know, and what are what are the values of that party? Because you saw a lot, a huge difference in values from Lincoln to Johnson to, and then from from Lincoln to Johnson, from Johnson to Grant, um, and then of course, you know, from from Grant up to to Rutherford Hayes. Like, you know, these are all Republicans who had vastly different views and, and vastly different ways of handling Reconstruction. And you know, now we look at you know what we think of as political parties, you think of what conservatism means, right? The conservative movement, the conservative ideals claim to be small government, pro-life, you know, um, and then you have a president who is saying things like the president's power is absolute. Like, just think for one second what they would have done if Barack Obama said the president's power is absolute. I mean, holy cow, the world would have exploded. They would, you know what I mean? Like, for a conservative to hear a liberal say the president's power is absolute when I'm a liberal and I'm thinking like, Oh man, there's checks and balances like that. That is not the role of the federal government. And I want, you know, I think we should be, you know, I'm a socialist. Like they should be controlling healthcare. It's not controlling, but governing healthcare and everything else. Um, so like, what is that ideal? Like, what do you stand for? And I think that's where Lincoln, um, stands alone and that stands alone, but stands apart with, his conviction to his values as a politician, right? You know, he was, he stood by them and didn't, you know, didn't say he was for this to get elected and do something else. I think he, mm-hmm. he said what he needed to do um, to get elected in some ways, but like his values were always present and he continued to do them. But to, to say that, you know, that you're this this party. I mean, even states' rights, I think, is obviously a, a theme from the Civil War till now. A huge argument that conservatives have made for generations now is that states' rights are a thing, and states should decide what they have for themselves. And you know, the federal government shouldn't be dictating states what they should do. And then you have a, a so-called conservative president saying, "I'm the one who's going to tell the states what to do." Now he's walked back, walked that back considerably. I get that. Um, but there's definitely some echoes of the Civil War in there, and I think that conservatism and that conservative hold on that states' rights argument. Um, well, that goes with the, the protests that you're seeing, like in Michigan. Mich- the governor yeah. is choosing, you know, and obviously Trump's words has sparked some of these protest movements because you could see the Trump apparel, and then you have the Confederate flag waving. Why because the you have flag? in Michigan of all Why? places waving for the governor advocating for state rights, doing what she thinks best for the state. Like it's such like yeah, it's, that's mind boggling. I mean, there's people that wave the Confederate flag here in Canada. I I don't know if they know exactly what it means, but obviously not i see it yeah i'll never forget i was visiting actually it's kind of weird my buddies um i just saw my buddy's mom post something about recalling the wisconsin governor before him protecting people but i was up the way up way up in northern wisconsin in like a gift shop by up by like you know all the whatever the lakes are up there um, and it had bumper sticker that said the South will rise again for sale in a, had a Confederate flag on it. I'm like, what? Like, uh, I mean, it even said the South, like, man, you can't get much farther North. We are not far from Canada. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's this whole idea of, you know, states rights and, you know, we can govern ourselves when really it's a protection of this way of life that, that a lot of people have that's, that's in many ways oppressive. Um, you know, and another parallel to the civil war that, that is rightly getting a lot of criticism is there was that politician, I want to say he was from Tennessee, but he's not alone. Uh, the Lieutenant governor of Texas said something very similar. The president's kind of alluded to some things and, and Nick talked about it earlier with the cause being not as bad as the problem or the, the solution not being as bad as the problem. Um, is this whole, you know, the whole idea of, you know, uh, the, the Tennessee congressman said that there's two evils here, like the evil of death and the evil of um, the economy crashing. And we have to decide what's the lesser of two evils. And that's a, to me, that's about a half a step away from calling something a necessary evil, which was of course, like the argument for people who claim to be, good people in support of enslavement, right? Yeah. We'd be like, well, we don't like it. It's not a good thing. We realize that it's bad, but it's a necessary evil because if we don't have it, the economy of the South would crash and the economy is so important to this country that yes, it's wrong. Yes, I don't like it, but it's a necessary evil. Like I don't see a huge leap from saying, well, we need to decide between the two evils, the evil of letting people die and the evil of letting the economy die. Like, how are those not different? Like to call something evil, but then to be okay with it um, to me is very similar. That's flawed logic. I mean, it's giving you a false dilemma Mm -hmm. and then, you know, it has to be great because Lincoln would jump over all over something like that. Yeah. um, The way he constructs his arguments and he would have, you know, a witty, a counter to it. Um, But unfortunately we don't have any politicians who got that capability. We got to go to the daily show. Um, to get that type of, or John Oliver to get that type of response, um, but yeah, he would jump all over that flawed logic right there. Yeah, that surprised me. That's too. As he, yeah, and it's and it's really he was a genius at it because he could do it in in a way that didn't sound like you were like like the Daily Show, and a lot of people come across like they're being pretentious or yeah. you know, but just to say like. Like what? Like there's a problem here. If the problem is it's bad for the economy to crash and it's bad for people to die, perhaps the problem is build a system that if people start dying, it doesn't kill the economy. Or if slavery doesn't exist, the economy dies. Well, maybe we build a system that doesn't rely on enslavement, as opposed to you know recognizing well, right now our system relies on enslavement, so that's just. That's the house Let's we live just in. Just keep going with it because we're <laughs> right. making lots yeah. of money. We don't have to pay right. people. It's all profit. This is a point Wheeler made in his editorial that's in the Tribune was that Lincoln was good at pushing, all right, yes, we got these two things, but let's come up with something new where we could benefit both. You know, this is a crisis we've never seen together. That means we got to be forward thinking with stuff. And that's what we're not hearing enough of right now is this forward thinking, all right, how do we do get the economy going, but at the same time, balance your life. We're starting to hear that more now. Um, but for a long time there, it was just, no, it's either this or this. Uh, but Lincoln was able to look forward thinking, think about that. And he pushed the people around him to think that way too. And then, you know, <laughs> me and boys could talk about this. I mean, we work at a high school where um, it's either good or bad, but no, a lot of times... It works uh, yeah, both ways. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're very right. We talked about it. I don't know if it was last last episode or a couple episodes ago. He was like that from the very beginning of his presidency with Fort Sumter. Yeah. Like, tons of people thought he should do this. Tons of people thought he should do that. 
And it was, you got to choose between those two. And of course he went with a third option that worked reasonably well. You know, I mean, it probably the best outcome of the Mm -hmm. two. Um, But I think there's a lot of us that are wired that way. Like we see it in young people very clearly where they have a really hard time. It's either it's, it's, it's black or white, right or wrong, up or down. Like, and they, and they really have a hard time with a nuanced argument. I think that's, and that's a higher level thought. And, and, I, and, I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with young people, but it's hard for them to wrap their heads around this, like, either we're not in school or we are in school. And we're trying to say, like, well, there's a third option. You know, we're going to try to do this distance learning thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not great, but we're, you know, they're like, well, it's, it's, it's really hard. Like, you know, and I think that it's probably – there's probably some science behind like the comfort of what's familiar, whatever else. But like, you know, this whole idea that, um, that, that everything has to be a pro con argument, a one or the other kind of thing, um, is, is something that Lincoln was, was not only good at finding that third option, but like crafting, like Nick was saying that argument of like, this is why it's good. And then having the political skill and creativity to get it done. Like to say like, okay, here's what's going to happen. And sometimes, and he did it a number of ways. Sometimes he would make it sound like he was caving in to the other side. Sometimes he would make it sound like it was this brand new thing. You know, sometimes, you know, very different. Sometimes he knew, he knew which people to, to lean on to get something done. Sometimes he would take no responsibility for it and just kind of say like, this can be yours. You, you take the win on this one. Um, and sometimes he just kind of had to say like, this is how we're going to do it. So, um, it's not only finding that third option, you know, because we even talked about here, like we don't know what the third option for this is. Like, um, it's easy for me to say, well, create a system that, that has enough supports where this isn't going to bring the country crashing down. Like if it were so easy to get 300 million people (laughs) to, to be in a system where there's enough safety nets where this wouldn't have a huge impact, you you know? Lincoln had like the political <clears throat> toolbox. Like some of us, like me and boys, we probably don't have much in our toolbox, no. um, unfortunately, <laughs> because we're both not very handy. Um, but then you have like Lincoln had every tool in his toolbox, and he was willing to use it. Sometimes you only use it once. You know, sometimes there might be one thing in the house that you need done, and there's one tool that gets it done. He had these political tools um, in excess. And he knew when to use them, when the appropriate time was, and knew how to use them. It's like teaching. Like there's certain things that I can only do like once a year. Um, like for example, I do it every once in a while, goofing around. But like quiet hands. Like if I did that every day, nobody would ever be quiet. But when I do a goofing around once a year, it actually works, and everybody's quiet because they realize how stupid it is, and I get all their attention. So, and that's what Lincoln was so good at is figuring out when to use these tools, how little or how much to use them, and get away with. That he was just a master. A master politician. Mm-hmm. And we actually had that analogy used here in our country with um, one of our doctors who she was getting really annoyed with people not adhering to the social distancing and gathering in crowds. And I I started calling her the dragon lady, but now I refer to her as the rock. <laughs> so I'm like, she's like our General Thomas. She, So she said she's some, a reporter asked her, how far will you go? And she's like, I've got tools in my toolbox and I will use them. I will put the quarantine act into effect if I have to. The next day, that's what she did. She just, boom, did it because people weren't doing what they, they said. She just said, I've got tools in my toolbox and I can use them. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that's what, you know, that's part of leadership. 
And I do think, you know, so many positives, because not only, you know, you have Lincoln changed the shape of politics and changed the role of the president so that you didn't have to be a Lincoln level genius to do a lot of those things because, and I think that's what great leadership does also. Not only are you a great leader, but, but future leaders have a little bit of an easier job because you've changed, right? Nick and I are educators. So like, I know the education field better than other fields. I see a lot of change long-term coming out of this because like we're in and change in education is very hard. Like the, the way that we've delivered schooling is not a whole hell of a lot different than it was since probably maybe the mid 1960s. I mean, there was huge in 1954 Brown versus board was a huge change in education. Um, not to say that, that, that fixed anything, but it got us, it started us on a path. Right. So there are things that have changed education fundamentally, but as far as like what school looks and feels like I graduated high school 20 years ago and school does not look or feel a whole lot different than it did then. I do think that this, when, when we're put into a crisis, we, we really start to see like what is it that we can change, and I think the idea, at least at the high school level that we're looking at, is like, what does it mean to for a kid to pass, right? And like we have this whole idea of like, well, they didn't do this, they didn't do that, like, true, okay, but what does that mean? Like, what what is the significance of that? And like, what are we doing? Like, how are we? What are we doing when we tell kids that they didn't pass? Like, what does that what does that actually mean? And when you look at the long-term implications of that, that like we're saying that you have a much higher likelihood of a lifetime of poverty because you didn't turn in something. Now that's a bit of a stretch, but like that's there. So I think what Lincoln was, Lincoln did the same thing where the office of the presidency did effectively nothing from Jackson until him, right? There was very little leadership out of the executive branch as a whole. And by extension, the Supreme court didn't do a huge amount either because the appointments didn't, Tend, you know, there just was an era of Congress, the legislative branch, having most of the governing power. Lincoln is such a skilled leader that now there's a more of a balance in power from him really onward. Um, they kind of ebbed and flowed. You know, obviously the Roosevelts had a little bit more influence. It kind of ebbed a little bit with, depending on who was in there. Um, I think this particular situation is going to expose maybe where where leadership is is lacking and, and where it's not. I think we're really seeing perhaps for the first time in a long, long time where governors have a huge leadership role. And I think that it's encouraging. Um, you're seeing governors negotiating with other governors and forming relationships and helping each other out, which I think is something that I never even really considered to be a thing in the past. I never, I never once thought when I was voting for governor, like, man, how is, how is our governor going to get along with the governor of Indiana? Like, are they going to be able to talk and, and, and make it make a situation that's good for the Midwest? But like three hours ago, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, Iowa, and Missouri, I think, all got together and said, like, all right, as a region, we need to be together on this. And you can't find a state more opposite politically that borders each other than Illinois and Indiana. It's, you know, you're not – I don't think – maybe you can, but I would argue that those are the two most – politically polarized bordering states that we have right um so but but yet now we're getting along we have because we have a common problem so like i think things like that emerge from this problem clearly the civil war had so many examples of that where for the first time you have 
many of those things going on. And as far as what's germane to this podcast is the office of the presidency, Lincoln completely transformed it through genius, through creativity, through necessity, all kinds of things like that. Agreed. Yep, totally agree. So when we started this episode, I think I said something about it not having a whole lot of structure. So that was the one prediction I got right, yes. probably for for the year. I think it was a great um, discussion, though. <laughs> it was, and I think that you know I don't know what we're going to end up titling this episode, but I've been thinking you know. about that. It's just going to be <laughs> it's the quarantine episode. Yeah, it's episode one twenty whatever where we yeah. talk about stuff. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's important. Hopefully, uh, you all kind of enjoy kind of sitting along with us. I, and we'll probably have very very similar conversations to this from time to time as we work through this situation. But I think the, the ultimate point I get, think we're all kind of trying to make is history matters, Lincoln matters, the Civil War matters, not solely in the context of four years or five years in the middle of the 19th century, but what does it mean for leadership? What does it mean for society? What does it mean for class? What does it mean for race? What does it mean for gender? What does it, you know, all of those things. And we're seeing a crisis now. Um, and if we don't learn from previous crises, how do we expect to manage crises now? And I think looking at the civil war as a crisis, looking at the Lincoln assassination as a crisis, what did we as a nation learn or not learn from that? And how can we apply it to now? And I think that there's, there's a lot to that. And, and I think that's why historians matter and history matters and facts matter because I do think there's a lot of times where people misinterpret history too, to say like, Oh, in the civil war, this happened. So, so, so I'm going to justify whatever argument, um, you know, that's where you also have to have your, what you learn rooted in a real understanding of history. So I enjoyed the conversation. I hope I you did all too. did too. No, it was great. It was so real split nation. This is what it's like to hang out with the three of us when we actually get together in person. <laughs> And this is why podcasts are important because, like, you get weird looks when you have conversations. Like, man, really? All this about Lincoln, Civil War, pandemic? Like, yes. And I'm so glad I have a community that embraces that now. (laughs) So we are up to about our time. So uh, this is definitely uh, an ongoing, as it should be, any conversation about history in in a current context is an ongoing uh, conversation. So please send your thoughts to us on social media or anywhere else. Um, we just today we um, in our group chat talked about um, an episode that's coming in the next couple of weeks that we're doing directly and and only because somebody requested it on Facebook. So we're yeah. like, yep, that's a great idea. We're going to do it. So um, we appreciate that. Uh, so keep those coming. Uh, we do have our weekly features. Um, the of the people by the people where we see a social media post that we wanted to talk about mary or nick did you want to did you have one of those you wanted to talk about yeah i can go oh go ahead go ahead you go mary um i was just gonna say uh tattooed historian uh tonight he had um harold holser on his live stream at uh i think it was at seven o'clock and uh i'm sure he'll have that available to watch later on his tattooed historian uh, Facebook page. I did post a link to it on our real Twitter Facebook page, but I thought that was such a cool thing for him to be able to do. He's actually been doing um, a lot of really awesome live streams lately. Um, just because like, you know, that's one, one of the silver linings in this, uh, you know, quarantine lockdown that we're in is I think we're able to connect a little bit more with people that we might necessarily not be able to connect with. And, um, 
John over at Tattoo Historian certainly has done that. He did a live stream the other night about um, Chamberlain and Little Roundtop at Gettysburg as well. So um, head on over to his Facebook page and just check out what he's got there. And I'm sure the interview with Holzer will be there very soon. Yeah, and that's really cool. Peter Carmichael, one of the leading Civil War historians mm-hmm. um, out there, too. Yeah. Um, kind of playing off that social media where you can find some more Lincoln um, interaction. The Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum Facebook page is uh, live right now as we're recording this, discussing the assassination, and they archive those there. So go to the Facebook page, um, and you can hear their conversation, um, which I'm sure will be great. And then another thing, Eric Lee in our Facebook group posted a link to a YouTube page that has David Taylor's Facebook, or, or yeah, I think it was a Facebook Live yep. thing he did for the museum. Um, and David Taylor, if you don't know, uh, is, as far as I know, the man who knows the most about the assassination. And I feel that's that I know, at least, have talked to. He, um, he does. And we've done, I think, three episodes with him. I don't mm-hmm. know the numbers, but you go back and look at, for assassination episodes. We have him. Um, one of our favorite guests. So I would encourage you to go out there. Um, and he's got a social media presence, too. So, yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm sure there's, like, a scholar out there somewhere who's, like, life's work is the assassination. But I don't know if you're going to find a better combination of knowledge of the assassination along with ability to convey that share that tell that story like i think that's where you know he really excels is is not only like does he is he a wealth of knowledge on the assassination in in the following weeks but also he tells it in a way that's that's like compelling and suspenseful and fun and you know the characters and all the other stuff so yeah and he's he's a fun he's a very fun guest um yeah he's a good dude yeah super nice guy like having him on here uh, my social media post, and I apologize, this is probably a terrible thing to do, but I'm going to use one of my own social media posts. And the only reason I'm doing that is because it popped up on my Facebook memories from uh, April 16th of 2014. So six years ago, uh, my son was just about to turn three, and um, I had asked him what we read about the night before. And he says, and his, you know, he, he, uh, his speech develops a little bit differently than some other kids. Uh, but he says, Abraham Lincoln and Star Wars, because of course that's what we read about. Um, so you can just listen to my almost three-year-old son saying, Abraham Lincoln and Star Wars, and I think it's the most adorable thing ever. I don't know if the sound's going to work on this. If it doesn't, my apologies, but let's, let's see. Did you hear that? Yes. Maybe? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, that's how my son used to say Abraham Lincoln. So I'll try to post that too. But anyway, I had a little dad moment this morning. So, you know, we all need those, especially in quarantine. So, uh, and our This Week in Lincoln, where Lincoln shows up out of the conventional context of a history book. Uh, did we have one of those? Last week's was so much fun with Ab Lincoln. Ab Lincoln. Uh, what do we got this week? I have to search for something. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and I'm hosting. Usually the host kind of helps with that. So, As they're looking for something, I want to remind all our listeners, you're in quarantine. You have more time than ever. You should jump in on iTunes. Give us a rating. Five stars. Even if you don't like us, five stars. Then badmouth us in the comments. We're sitting at 69. That's not a very appropriate number. So let's let's move that off that number. Um, funny. Ha-ha. 
Uh, and you know, if I said that in <laughs> class, the whole class will start laughing. So join us on our Facebook group. It's been great interaction. A lot more traffic on there, especially since people have more free time. Um, we got the second installment of the third book club coming next episode. Am I correct on that? Right? Sure. We're doing every Man, other week. You just week, gave though. me a reading assignment. Yes. You miss teaching. You miss teaching a live class that bad. You got to start giving homework. Yes. Next week we will be doing the uh, chapters four, five, and six. Yes. And uh, Mary's subpar pick. Uh, I'm just joking. It's actually a good book. What's the name of it, Mary? Tried by War. Yeah, Tried by War. Yeah, it's good. Not as good as mine or Boyce's pick would have been. <sighs> have, you um, read, have you even read your pick? Yeah, I've read it. I've uh, really? annotated in the actual book. Oh. So, And I didn't do it all the day before. I did it one chapter one day, one day, and one day. Good. So... Um. Yeah, I've been stalling pretty long for you guys. Do you guys come up with anything? Um. Uh, it looks like we have a new review. Is that? Am I reading that right? Did you check that today? Is it seventy? Are we at seventy or sixty-nine? We're at sixty-nine, but it says there was one on Saturday. I'll read it. Uh. It says great appreciation for their love of Lincoln. I'm not doing this because like, ooh, I found a good review. But it, it does say Saturday from Ohio loves Lincoln. Wait, how many stars? Five. <gasps> of course, yeah. That's our This Week in Lincoln. So, <laughs> right, there we go. This is not... If you ever supplies with it This Week in Lincoln, this one's a little outside the rules, but we're just going to yeah. go with it because we're ill-prepared for this particular Well, oh, I piece might actually have show. one. I think I have one I have not used. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, read this re- I'll read this review and then we'll go over to Nick. So, uh, and thank you for writing the review. We read them all, um, just so you know, good, bad, otherwise. And we really, really appreciate the feedback. Uh, this one, especially because we all need a little positive feedback too. Just recently found this podcast and could not be more excited about it. I always thought that I was the only one who had such a love for Lincoln. So to find others who have that same love and appreciation is amazing. I downloaded every episode and love to listen while I'm working or walking. I'm a big fan of Jeremy and Nick, but the addition of Mary was an excellent choice, (laughs) uh, which I could not agree more with. (laughs) Um, uh, I live in Ohio and went to school in Kentucky. So I have access to many historical places for both Lincoln and Civil War history. This podcast is a great addition to my love for both. So Ohio loves Lincoln. The podcast loves you. Thank you so much for that review. Um, we, we always like the, the feedback, you know, and this positive feedback definitely helps us quite a lot. Um, and we really appreciate it. So thank you for that review. Ohio loves Lincoln uh, from Saturday. We really appreciate that. Have I showed you guys this before? No. What is that? I, I was literally kind of noticing that on the wall while you were talking the whole time. No, you have not. So, yeah, a couple years ago, my brother bought me. He knows I do the podcast, and he's always asking to be on, but I tell him no. So, <laughs> oh, uh, Curtis. No, I love that Curtis on the show. Curtis is awesome. You know, if he listens to this, and he, he Kurt, if you listen to this, you reach out to me, I'll let you on the show. Hey, Curtis, what do you want to come talk to us about? He's not going to listen to it. This is going to be great. So when he brings it up down the road, I'd be like, oh, I gave you an opportunity. You never <laughs> you never reached out. Oh, man. I haven't seen Curtis in a long time. Anyways, uh, he got this. So this is a record. It's kind of hard to see because I can't get a good background behind it. But, like, uh, it's a record, and then they make, like, uh, they go and they, like, poke stuff out of the record to make like a picture so it's abraham lincoln it says four scores seven years and it turned the record basically into a clock that's cool so um and then it was actually done on a carl sandberg abe lincoln album so 
you know, what must have been a book audio for his, uh, yeah, for the book you wrote. Um, so yeah, kind of cool. I'll try to get a better picture. Oh, cool. Yeah. So like in the negative space, there's Abraham Lincoln. So it's carved out of the vinyl and like the negative space kind of says the the words and then there's a silhouette of Lincoln. That's really cool. cool. That's That's so crazy. Cause when you were talking, I was looking over your shoulder at that on the wall. That's, I didn't realize that's what that was. Awesome. Yeah. So there we go. There you go, Curtis. Remember, you could be on the show. All you got to do is just ask. Well, and Curtis, uh, I think it's a, it's always a compliment to say that uh, someone is a good gift giver, and, and that was a, that's a pretty awesome gift yeah. that you gave your brother. So, well done, sir. Um, any parting thoughts, Mary or Nick? Um, this was a really great episode. It was nice to just sit and talk, and because yeah, social time is not really happening right now. So this is part of my social time which i very much appreciate um it's kind of like also therapy for me too because i get to geek out about lincoln for uh an hour with these two um so but wherever you all are real or all our listeners are hope you're all healthy staying safe and yeah just be safe be healthy yeah all right nick sleep in <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I've been on Google Hangouts all day today, and uh, I've enjoyed a lot of them for sure. They've been it's been nice to see people, but uh, this definitely felt like a like a social activity and event, and yeah. and a good chance. So I really appreciated that, and it was therapeutic for me as well. So I really appreciate uh, my co-hosts and our listeners to to afford us the opportunity to do things like this. So we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, a little bit of a off the cuff kind of episode. Um, next week we'll do some book club. Um, so pay attention. We'll, we'll probably tweet out exactly. I'm not familiar with what the chapter links are coming up, so we may need to let you know exactly what chapters we'll be talking about coming up. Uh, but pay attention for that, and we've got some other ideas coming down the pike for you, so hopefully we'll have some good Lincoln content for you while you have a little bit of more time potentially on your hands. Uh, but until then, we would continue to encourage you to always walk the world with males toward none and charity for all. And we'll see you very soon.